If you would, turn your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. You can make your way to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11. Uh, as you know, or at least many of you know, we have been walking through different books of the Bible over the last almost two years now, really covering parts of each book of the Bible to remind ourselves that Christ is in all of Scripture. He is not just found in the, uh, the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but he is found all throughout his word. And so we spent most of last year uh, in the Old Testament and now most of this year walking through books of the Bible at a time uh, in the New Testament. And so we are now to Hebrews and uh, as I was approaching this text, I think many of you know this, that I, I tend to plan uh, pretty far in advance when it comes to sermon preparation and, and thinking through what all we might, uh, the Lord might lead us to. And so, so Lord willing, we will be doing a walk through Hebrews next year. Um, and so because of that, I was kind of, trying to think through what all to, to cover today and how much to try to, to think through today. Um, what you'll find is that where I landed was like this tiny little snippet that uh, is packed full of good, good reminders for us, uh, but just a small little piece of Hebrews 11. But before we get there, uh, just a little bit about the book of Hebrews. We are not sure who the author is. There, is uh, there are certainly many who think it is Paul. We, we do know, however, that it is someone who was extremely knowledgeable about the disciples that were with Jesus while he was here on earth and about the Old Testament, uh, clearly evidenced by the many, many, many Old Testament references in the book of Hebrews. And we're not even sure really who the exact audience is, but we do know that they were knowledgeable about the Old Testament as well because of how those things are written and that they're likely being persecuted as ones who were converted Christians. The main focus of this book is to remind readers to hold on to Jesus and not to abandon the faith because Jesus is superior. In fact, the word we see oftentimes in this is that there is something or someone better. Uh, David was just referencing the sacrifices and it's really that Christ was the better sacrifice, right? Uh, you'll see over and over that he is better. And so even, even as you're thinking towards next year, you can know that that's what we'll be focusing on as we study Hebrews is how Jesus is better. Uh, so let's do this. Hebrews 11, let's read just a few verses here, but starting in verse one. So Hebrews 11, one. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Now we're gonna skip verse four and I'll, I'll tell you why in a minute. But so jump with me to verse five. It says, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death 
He was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This is a portion of the, what is often described as this hall of faith. If you read through uh, Hebrews 11, again, starting there in verse 4, you see all of these statements, by faith. By faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Sarah. By faith, by faith, by faith, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses. Over and over and over. There's all of these people that had faith in Christ. Faith in someone that they could not see. Faith in one that really had not even come yet. And so we, we skipped over verse 4 because it's about Abel, and I want us to spend our time today thinking about Enoch. But before we even try to consider all of who Enoch was, you might have read these couple verses and thought, well, it doesn't tell us much about Enoch. Scripture doesn't tell us a lot about him, but I, I do want to read the, the few other verses that are referenced. So in Genesis, you don't have to turn there, but in Genesis chapter 5, Verse 21, it says, when Enoch, this is just in a genealogy, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Now, if you didn't catch what just happened with this guy who's just listed in a long line of a genealogy passage, let's, let's just have some honest pastor, uh, church member conversation here. Uh, see, thank you. Um, do you find yourselves not quite as engaged when it starts to be a list of names that you can't pronounce? Anybody want to own up to that? Thank you. I'm proud of you. The rest of you, you might be lying in church, okay? Uh, no, like, there's just that tendency for us, right? We, we get to the list of names, and so-and-so fathered so-and-so, and they lived so many years, and then he, somebody else fathered so-and-so, and, and it, and it kind of gets wrote. But I want you to know it is worth reading those for multitude of reasons. One, the most Significant reason is because God put it in there, so probably a reason, right? It's worth us reading. But in addition, there's several times throughout Scripture, there's these kinds of little pieces, little uh, snippets, I call them, like that it just bring great life to that text. So if you didn't catch it, Enoch didn't die. I don't know about you guys, that's like one of the guarantees, right? Everybody says death and taxes. Well, death's the big one, right? And, and so it's like this, the fact that he did not. In fact, there's only two people in Scripture recorded as never dying, right? Enoch and Elijah are the two. And so you get to this, and it just says that he was taken. In fact, that he was taken up. And so let's, let's see this. Enoch was taken up because he was commended. In chapter, 
back in Hebrews, even, even earlier uh, in verse 2, it says, For by it the people of old received their commendation. And so there's this picture even then later when it says in verse 5 that he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. This is, this is a word that means like approved or has had this as a testimony or he could bear witness to this truth. So why, why then was he commended? Well, it's, first of all, it's because he believed in God. That might sound obvious, like this guy that's listed for having faith, obviously he had faith in God. Well, maybe that's not obvious, but they make it abundantly obvious, right? He believed in God and the creator of the universe. He didn't believe in a false God. He didn't believe in just something. Like we all have faith to some degree, right? Certainly you, you had faith that your alarm clock would work this morning. You had faith that your car would start this morning. Maybe your car didn't start and you had to get in you walked here. I don't know. You had faith that the seat, the chair would hold you up. You had, right? there's, there's faith in something, but, but he didn't just have faith in something or in someone. He believed in God. In fact, then in verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. You realize this, right? When, when we're sharing the gospel, we're making known the truth of Christ, the foundational start is there is a God. Like we have to start there. We, so many times we, uh, I've, I've heard and seen of people attempting to share the gospel and they jump to a whole, maybe a different point in the, the truth factor and they're talking with someone who doesn't even believe that there is a God at all. So we gotta make sure that we understand that there is a God and there's only one God. There's not multiple gods, there's not uh, the God is not an idol. He is, in fact, he's intentionally not seen by us. I wonder, do you believe that there is a God? That there is one true God? Even though you can't see him. I mean, church, this is it. Guest. Friend, this is the foundation. In fact, this foundation, Martin Luther made such a bold stand in the, the beginning of the Reformation saying that, that we have faith. It's faith alone. It's not that we have faith in uh, and something else. It's just that faith is what saves by grace through faith that one is saved. Enoch was commended because he believed that God exists. And this, this commendation came with great pleasure. He was pleasing to God. Enoch was pleasing to God. Verse 5, right back up just a little bit. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Isn't that a pleasant thought? It's just a, it's a nice thought to have that God was pleased with him. The opposite of pleasure 
arguably, is disappointment. Isn't that the worst? You remember uh, kids in the room, maybe this happened recently to you, but, but maybe even as uh, adults, we can remember this as children. You remember when, if, if your parents punished you, there were, the, there were the two types of punishment, right? There was the, I'm mad at you, or I'm maybe even like, you're gonna get a spanking or some other, whatever, grounded, uh, whatever the thing was, right? And, and they didn't say those words, but if they said to you, I'm disappointed in you, I remember as a kid, like that was soul crushing, right? Like, can you just give me another spanking? Like, can you just ground me for another week? Like, you're disappointed. Like, you, you, there's this something in us that we want to, to please, to honor, to, to, for our parents to, to be proud of us. And, and so the opposite of this pleasing God would be to be a disappointment. I think for us, in many ways, we can, that can resonate with us. It's always worse when mom or dad would say, I'm disappointed. So hear this. God was not just not disappointed. He was pleased. And as Enoch drew closer to God, the Lord was more pleased with him. I think sometimes in my own life, I, I feel the opposite. I fear the opposite. As though God doesn't really know me. Right? If I let God see all of me, he's going to want me less. If In my mind, right? So, so I, I find myself not wanting to confess sin to him because then he'll know then he'll really know the, the dark in my heart. And I don't, I don't want to disappoint God. I want him to be pleased with me. So, so I, don't, I don't want to tell him. I need you to see this, brothers and sisters. As Enoch drew closer to God, it was in his closeness that God was most pleased with him. Remember, it doesn't take your confession for God to know your sin. You're not making God aware of your wrongdoing. Oftentimes, it's, we think of it that way because that's what happens in, in life, right? People don't, like when we sin against our friend or our spouse or our parents or our children, it's often in our mind. We, we say something about them when we walk away or we're angry at them. And so we, in our heart and in our mind, and so we, we have to tell them our confession is letting them know that we have, we've had a, we've done something against them. We're telling them. So we have to make them aware. But, but when it comes to confessing to the Lord, we're not making him aware for he already knows, right? So hear this. There's nothing that you have done or will do that will cause God to love you less. 
as we'll see in a minute, there's also nothing you can do to earn his grace. These, these things go hand in hand, right? He was, God, God was pleased with Enoch. Enoch pleased God because he had drawn near to him. Let us be a people that draw near to him. This way was described intentionally by this phrase, that he walked with God. We see that in the Genesis 5 passage. Enoch walked with God, right? He did that for a long time. I don't know if you caught that in the Genesis reading. 300 years. Anybody in here 300? No, okay. Uh, 100. Man, if that's the case, we're having a party. Like, okay, right? This is... This is a real number, by the way. This isn't like some exaggeration or whatever. This, this man walked with God for 300 years. This is intentionally to describe an intimate fellowship with God. In fact, earlier in Genesis, it describes how uh, when God made Adam and Eve, and it says that they walked with him in the cool of the day. It was that kind of intimate relationship, just enjoying each other's presence. I've often wondered about what it would have looked like for Enoch to have been taken up. I don't know exactly what it looked like. Scripture doesn't give us a picture there, so I don't, I don't want to presume too much, but I've thought with, uh, with pleasant thoughts that maybe uh, Enoch and God were on their daily walk. And one day, after 300 years of this, God just said, hey, you wanna come to my place? You wanna just like, let's just, let's just change your final destination now. Like that kind of relationship that was so close. It was just, hey, let's take the next step. This kind of intimacy. Church, I want that. When I think of Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica, the really brief phrase that he puts, pray continually, I think of that, or pray without ceasing, right? I, I think of this. I think that's what walking with God is. It's an ongoing, never-ending conversation with him. It doesn't stop because we say the word amen. It just shifts a little bit. See, Enoch walked with God, and Enoch was committed to God. In fact, the, the name Enoch means dedication. And then NIV translates this part of Genesis 5 as he walked faithfully with God. I think about words like steadfast and consistent and regular and uh, like just the ongoing. This was, this was Enoch's commitment to God, was a faithful, steadfast, never-ending kind of commitment. And he was distinguished by God 
I, I mentioned this a little while ago, but when he it says in verse 5, 11, 5, right? Like this might even be worth underlining or circling. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. In Genesis 5, um, it's not quite as clear. It says that he was taken. And so many people pre the book of Hebrews might have just read that and thought, oh, like he just was no more. But, but he died and that was a, a kind way of saying that he died. But this makes it clear. He did not see death. And, and this is an, an intentional distinction in, in Genesis, there's this break in the pattern. The, the phrase, the person lived after, is replaced by Enoch walked with God after. So in all the other places, it says the person lived after they had a child, they lived this many more years. But in Enoch's case, it says that he walked with God those 300 years. And over and over, it's stated that he died. And here, it simply says that he was not, that God took him. This genealogy is different from the one found in Genesis 11, which does not repeatedly say the word died. This is this, is this intentional distinguishing mark. And it seems to be intentional because God is rejoicing in or celebrating the intimacy with one of his people. So you might even be wondering, like, how does this apply to us? Because I don't think I'm going to be walking with God for 300 years and because there's only a, only a couple people that had this distinguishing mark. So it's not like you're trying to tell us, hey, let's shoot for that. Let's, let's make that our goal. Maybe, maybe if you're really special, you'll go up with like a chariots of fire, right? Like what, maybe, maybe you, those are your two markers. We're, we're shooting for that. Let's think about this. While Enoch was taken up because he was commended, we were taken in because we were credited. Enoch was taken up because he was commended, but we were taken in because we were credited. So this, this isn't about our righteousness. This really wasn't about Enoch's righteousness. In fact, this is about the righteousness of Christ. The righteousness of Christ is given by faith. Recently, uh, in another sermon, we talked about this word imputed righteousness, right? This, this is your grand theological term of the day, imputed. So it's something that's given to us. It's something that's clothing us, his, his righteousness. Al Mohler says it this way. He says that without faith, it is impossible to be commended, but with faith, it is impossible to be condemned. Without faith, it is impossible to be commended. It can't be earned. Commendation from God cannot be earned. When you think about that word, commendation, it's often, if not always, in our context, a something that is earned. Someone is, is uh, 
made to a different rank or a different level in the military, and it's, it's because of, of a commendation. And that's something that's been earned for a multitude of different reasons. They did a heroic act. They, they demonstrated their ability to lead. They finished the top of their class. They, they, they finished boot camp. They did whatever the thing was. But in this case, commendation cannot be earned. You cannot, hear this, you cannot do enough to be saved. You can't give enough, you can't serve enough, you can't speak enough, you can't speak less enough, be quiet enough, you can't get enough good grades, students, you can't please your parents enough, you can't make your husband happy enough, you can't make your wife fulfilled enough, you can't make your parents proud enough, you can't satisfy your boss enough, you can't fill your bank account enough, you can't empty your bank account enough. You cannot do it. If you don't catch anything else, you can't earn salvation. But here is what is so incredibly important. Listen carefully. With faith, it is impossible to be condemned. With faith in the one true God, your relationship with Christ cannot be taken away. Romans 8, right? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is it. Like, you can't have that stolen. The righteousness of Christ is given by your faith in him. And the, the pleasure of God is found by faith. See, we, we do. There's part of us as still with that childlike faith, we really do. We want to make our dad proud. We want to make our father in heaven proud. Not, not like a beat your chest pride kind of way, but like a, 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 a excited father, a parent who is thrilled with what their kids are doing. Who Remember how I talked about uh, opening up your wallet and showing all your, your children and, and how your grandchildren and all the different things that they are doing and how proud you are. In the same way, we, we want to please him and that is found by our faith in him. See, pleasing God is the basis for our worship. Why is it that you think that we sing our, these songs to him? Many of you would even acknowledge that it's not because your voice is so pleasing. Mine either, right? It's not, it's not because we, we sing with such eloquence that any, everybody should want to hear it. No, it's that we want with all of our being to, to please God. And so we sing songs even when we don't have a great voice because we want to make a joyful noise to the Lord. Hebrews 13, listen to this. Through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Serving others, singing, like making a sacrifice of praise to God. This is just a word of encouragement for you. Sing. Sing praises to God. When we are gathered together, worshiping him, be one of the voices. 
And by the way, that has generational effect. If you want your children to sing, let them watch you sing. If you look next to you and your child is not singing, and then you notice that your mouth is closed too, don't be surprised. They follow you. Parents, they're listening for your voice. They're wanting to know, is it okay to sing loud? I really like this part. The answer is yes. Sing, sing with joy, no matter, no matter how good it sounds coming out. The Lord above is pleased by our praise of his name. Pleasing God is the basis for our worship and pleasing God is the foundation for works, right? Now, again, Hebrews 13. Now may the God of peace who brought again the, from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. May your work be pleasing to God. May your service to one another be pleasing to God. May your service to the body of Christ be honoring and pleasing to God. The pleasure of God is found by our faith and trust in him. In fact, the proof of God is shown by faith. We, we can't see him. And that, uh, that can be hard. But that's where faith comes in. One writer says that we accept the existence of God by faith and we accept the promises of God by faith. Right? We don't, we don't accept that God exists because we have seen him in front of us. We've seen his word seen, heard the truth. We have not touched him or seen him face to face. We simply have faith in who he is, that he is. And we accept the promises of God by faith. We, we trust in what he says he will do. We have the gift of a history book. It's far more than a history book, to be clear, but it demonstrates his promises being fulfilled. Now, there are promises in here that are oftentimes misquoted, misrepresented, misunderstood, but we can hold fast to this one, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Church, that's us. I, I say that to the church. If, if you are saved, then you are the church. And if you're not, then find hope in the one who offers you a guaranteed seal of the inheritance offered to you in his son, Jesus Christ. You see, the reward of God is received by faith. Right? There is this, 
this gift of salvation, this reward. And a reward seems like something that we would have earned. It's, it's, a, it's a prize. It's something that we, we did to get it. But the way that it's received is simply by faith. This gift is a personal gift, right? It was for you. And this gift is permanent. I need you to, to hear this and this whole idea. We'll start here. There is a God. The creator of all things. This God, this one true God is holy, righteous, meaning that he's set apart in his perfection, in all of his ways. He always does right, never does wrong then. And he created all things, including you. But you and I, we sinned. We, we offended God. So he's, he's made rules and laws, and he's set those. And because he's perfect and right and always does things right, then... And we have gone against them. In our nature, it's just part of kind of who we are. We have acted out. And by our choice, we're born into sin and we, we choose to sin. We've offended a perfectly righteous, holy God. And, and you hear there's this desire for this perfectly righteous God to have relationship with us who are imperfect. But because he's so perfect, it, it's not possible for that to simply take place because our sin is, the punishment for that sin is actually death. So he, God the Father sent his son named Jesus, as we've been talking about, to die on a cross to cover the penalty for your sin, my sin, our sin. This holy, righteous God and us sinful people, there's now been given us a way in Jesus. But you may be asking, how then do I get that gift? It's been offered already. Jesus actually already died and he demonstrated his proof that it worked by coming back to life. And so how do I get that? How do I receive this gift, right? If I'm, if I'm handing you a gift, eventually like for you to open it, you've got to take it, unwrap it, and then use it, right? The way that scripture tells us that we receive that gift. The way we unwrap the gift is by faith. We didn't deserve the gift and do anything to earn it. We have faith. We believe in what we cannot see. Scripture describes this with another word called repentance. Right? Because if we're going to believe that all of this is true about God, if we're going to believe that Jesus really did take this penalty for us, then we're going to turn away from everything else. We're going to, we're going to say we don't want to have anything to do with that sinful old life. We don't want to have anything to do with that. So we're going to turn away from that. And we're going to trust in Jesus. And so here's, here's the deal. That is faith. Believing in what we cannot see, that there's a God who loved us enough to provide salvation for us for all eternity. Here's why this is so incredibly significant for this day, because we don't know if there is a day tomorrow. 
So yes, if you are here today and you have never turned away from your sin and trusted in Jesus, make that day today. Maybe it is that all of this stirring something inside you and it's causing you to uh, have, have different questions that you might like answered. Or maybe it is you just know, I right now, I wanna call on Jesus. I wanna acknowledge that he's Lord and Savior. And so right where you are, you can do that. But, but if there are questions right to my left in just a moment, you are welcome to go there and get some of those questions answered as they open up the word with you, open up the Bible to seek those answers. And if you are a follower of Christ, if you have already turned and trusted in Jesus, then give him the praise he deserves. This is the God who rescued you, saved you, took you from darkness to life, I mean, darkness to light and death to life. We aren't just talking about small change, we're talking about life-altering change. Would you give your heart entirely to the Lord? If you already have, would you celebrate that he's holding it in his hand to never let you go? Would you stand with me as we respond?